I'd like to uh, turn your Bibles to Revelation 4. As always, there's an outline in the bulletin. You may find that helpful. By the way, the reason I put bulletins, inserts in, because I know sometimes I, I can't cover everything. I don't necessarily expect you to keep them, though that's great if you do. <laughs> it helps you. Revelation chapter 4, I was just reading out of verses. We're going to basically be in verses 8 to the, verses 8 to the end of the chapter. Today we're going to be talking about the ultimate priority. Over the years, periodically, we have looked at worship. That is the ultimate priority. However, today it's actually found right in the text. I mean, it's not a topical message. It's an actual expositional message. The actual ultimate priority, the ultimate being the vital, the crucial, the number one. The number one priority of our lives is worship. But many times the urgent pushes out the important, right? I remember a story of our 34th president, Dwight Eisenhower. When, when he began his administration, he instructed his executive assistant that there should be only two stacks of paper placed on his desk in the Oval Office. The first would be a stack of those that were urgent. And he specified this, only the extremely urgent. The other was to be a stack of the important. And there again, specifying only the extremely important. He said years later, it was interesting to him how rarely the two were one and the same. Rarely is the urgent equal to the important. Once in a while, but rarely. But again, when we come to this topic of worship, and we think of our lives, the chaos of our lives, the busyness of our lives. Many times we get caught in, well, many of you probably have read that little pamphlet, The Tyranny of the Urgent. Any of you are? It's really good. You know, it just reminds you, you know, what's important? Don't constantly be accomplishing the urgent. You gotta, because it'd be, it's tyrannical. It'll just keep you busy. The tyranny of the urgent. But you have to get back and say, but what's important? In fact, for us, we have to say it this way. What is extremely important? And what's extremely important in our lives is that we worship God. If you're a true believer in Jesus Christ, if you've truly received Christ as your Lord and Savior because you knew your sins were condemning you and Christ, His sacrifice on the cross, paid for your sins and you received Christ, I mean, you're a true believer in Jesus Christ, then the ultimate priority of our life is that we worship Him, that we worship the Godhead. You know, the Westminster Confession of Faith rightly asks as its first question this, what is the chief and highest end of man? That's what the confession asks. Is its first question. It had a number of questions. The first one, what is the chief and highest end of man? In other words, highest being, what is the most important? What is extremely important for man? And the answer was man's chief and highest end. The chief and highest end. <coughs> is to get a lot of money and a lot of prestige. Oh, isn't that what it is? To have a comfortable life. To make people like you. To go after all the goodies and trinkets of this world. Well, the way 
you look at some people's lives, you'd think that was the chief and highest end of man, right? Wouldn't you agree with that? Some of us even here perhaps live that way. No, no. Man's chief and highest end is to glorify God and to fully enjoy Him forever. <coughs> Boy, that's a lofty goal. To glorify Him and to enjoy Him. Then you can get all kinds of passages. 1 Corinthians 10.31 really blares out at us. Whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, what? Do all for the glory of God. It's not just about the glory of God, by the way. It's also about enjoying Him. If you enjoy God, you will relieve yourself of many, many sins and temptations. Right? If you enjoy God, and if your pursuit is of Him, there will be many things in your life that will just fall off like scales. But you have to pursue Him. You have to enjoy Him. But it starts with glorifying Him. So again, glory, or again, we're going to use those glory and worship synonymously, is an end in itself. It's not a means to an end. Yet other things can often take priority in our life. But the one essential ingredient for every believer, and this is the essential ingredient for the church, um, is his glory. A few years ago, um, James McDonald, I mentioned this book a few months ago, I guess it was, he wrote a book called Vertical Church. What a, what a profound title. Because that's really what the church is all about, vertical. Sometimes we forget, and I'm a pastor, I'm one of the elders here, and I forget it's not about all this stuff. That's even secondary to vertical. Vertical is God. And, and, and the more we set our minds and hearts on worshiping Him and honoring Him, uh, exalting Him, glorifying Him, uh, the, the, the things of earth will st grow strangely dim. And even the problems of the church will disappear. <laughs> right? I'm not saying they disappear for good. But what I'm getting at is, many times we forget that it's all really about glorifying Him, right? Becoming more like the Lord Jesus Christ, glorifying Him. Uh, an author, Don, Don, or Don, Gordon Dale, I don't know why I say Don, Gordon Dale uh, analyzes this whole issue, though, of worship. The whole issue of how people live their lives. How do Christians live their lives? And he came to this conclusion, quote, most middle-class Americans tend to worship their work, work at their play, and play at their worship. Most middle-class Americans tend to worship their work, work at their play, and play at their worship. As a result, he goes on, their meaning and value, their motivations, their directions are distorted. Their relationships disintegrate faster than they can keep them in repair, and their lifestyles resemble a cast of characters in a search of a plot. In search of a plot, yeah. Basically, this: if your focus is this is not this way, your life is is just is constantly grasping. But I wanted to to think through that that statement: worship their work, work at their play, play at their work. I mean, do we really do that? Well. Worship their work. Many times we find our identity in our work. Now think about that. We shouldn't find our identity in our work. Our identity is in Jesus Christ. But yet many times we find our actual identity. That's why you know a man retires and all of a sudden he gets depressed. He has no identity. That's the only thing he's known. That's not our identity. Our identity is in Jesus Christ. 
or as far as their work, that's what they trust, that's what they have confidence in, that's where they find their power and prestige. So, I would say, yes, many times people worship their work. And then they work at their play. What do you mean? Well, they dream about it. They plan it. It's their focus. See, worshiping their work (coughs) brings us to now where I can do all these things. So, they work at their play. And then they finally play at their worship. How would that be described? Half-hearted. Coming to church to corporately worship, but not having prepared your heart. Not even thinking whether or not you are even in fellowship with God as far as walking with Him at the moment, but just going to sing His songs. Right? Wouldn't you say that's playing at your worship? Not preparing your kids? uh, Getting to bed so late on Saturday night that you're half groggy and you just kind of stumble in here and God should be satisfied? wouldn't Wouldn't you say that's playing at your worship? Not really coming with a full heart and an expectation and anticipation. By the way, the worship, the singing was phenomenal, wasn't it? But again, I trust that that was your heart and not just your voice, right? Can can we play games? Can, can 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 we sing with a whole heart and yet our heart's not holy to God? Okay, so we don't want to, we do not want to play at our worship. We don't want it to be half hearted. We don't want it to be self focused. We mean self focused. How can worship be self focused? Well, many times it's because of why we do it. Uh, do we worship because of God or for ourselves? Does it make us feel better? Do we do it for our benefits, for our needs? Oh, it just makes me feel so good when I come to worship on Sunday morning. Well, I trust that that's a byproduct, but that's not the main point. That is not the main point. It's not about us. You know? See, we don't have a service where people are spectators, silently grading the performance. I think sometimes that happens. That's not worship. In fact, sometimes I think our worship... In fact, sometimes, I, I, I wouldn't even mind it, not that Donna does this, but hits the wrong key, and over here hits the wrong thing, and they're out of tune, and that doesn't, that's not whether or not our hearts are in tune with Him. She can hit the wrong key and I can still be in focus with God, right? Now, again, if you hit the wrong key too many times, that's going to be a very big distraction. <laughs> but you get the point. It's not about, well, what did I think of the service. It's what did God think of the service. So the real question is, what does God think of it and those who have worshipped? What does He think of us? Again, our needs are met as a byproduct, but not as the goal. So, when we sing, we sing for Him alone. When we listen to someone singing, or playing a solo, or playing the piano, although we may be impressed with the person's ability, and by the way, very grateful for their ability, it's not about what we think, okay? Our focus, it's really on what does God think. Because our focus is on the worship of our God. When one plays an instrument, he or she plays for God's glory. Not for ourselves. Not for us. I think sometimes we, we become the audience. We're not the audience. We're the participators to the audience. I know this sounds so, maybe this sounds so simplistic, but I, I'm not sure if it is. I think there's a lot of times churches, they're just drawing people. We might. Yeah, because, oh, I feel so good. It's not about that. 
It's about our hearts being prepared to worship the eternal one. <laughs> We've got to keep that in mind. And, and you say, well, how do you know that sometimes that's not happening in church? Worship wars. Some of you even come from churches where they had worship wars. Conflict. What type of worship? You know, and you always say, oh, is it going to be praise songs? Is it going to be hymns? Is it going to be a cappella? I mean, back in the Puritan days, some of them didn't think she should have any instruments, okay? Worship wars. But see, even to this day, we, a few years ago, went through a little bit of it, not major, but it was worship wars. And really what you're talking about is the expression of worship, not the essence of worship. But a lot of that worship wars is this, what do I like? Now, now, now tell me this, what do you think is wrong with that statement? What do I like? <laughs> okay, I understand. You know, I want to be able to understand the words, I want to be able to, but it's not about I, not about me. When we get the I, it's the horizontal. We get the horizontal. And with the horizontal perspective comes the urgent. So you go back to the urgent versus the important. And I think many times that's the problem in the churches. Again, we have to guard against that being in our own church. Well, I don't really like that hymn. It doesn't matter what you you like. Just tell me, is it biblical? Just tell me if it's biblical. Because if it's theologically sound, maybe you don't like it because it's too hard to sing. But is our God complicated? Is he complex? By the way, should music at times be hard to sing? Yeah, yeah, why? Why not? Because you're extending yourself, not for your purposes, not for your feelings, but for Him. If it's expressing who He really is, then, um, then let's, let's go down that path. By the way, I, I know that many of you are not like this. I, you know, I'm not like looking at the whole body. I'm just looking at it and saying, you know what? Worship is for God, not for us. So again, we don't want to get into the horizontal, the urgent, the self-centered, the me. It's about vertical. In other words, we need to highlight the things of God and the service and the church should be about God's word, God's will, God's plan, God's people, God's way, God's reason for living, God's glory, God's honor. See, the goal is God's worship. Everything is about God. And, and we, we say these simple things because then we can even catch ourselves if someone else is like going off the path or if I'm going off the path. You know what? Really not about you. It's about how we uh, organizing the church and the service and everything about Alfred Allman Bible Church so that God would be glorified. Even in the transformation of people. People getting saved. People growing. Why? So that they might glorify God. It's all about that. So the worship of God. It's the underlying objective of the church. And we need to be committed to this important thing. Okay? Now, now we go to Revelation chapter 4, if you'd like to turn there, if you haven't already. And we're going to, we get a glimpse of heaven, our home. We get a glimpse of what we're going to be doing for the rest of our eternity. <laughs> I love that. See, before he shows us the tribulation, he first of all shows us heaven, our home. This is where we'll be if you're one of the redeemed, if one, one of those who are true believers in Jesus Christ. And last week we, we went through uh, most of uh, up to chap- or verse 8. Again, we saw the throne in verse 2. Immediately I was in the Spirit and behold a throne in heaven. Again, John is transported, not in body, but in spirit to the throne. He's able to 
see, and on the throne is one who sat on the throne, the Ancient of Days. Again, we know that this is the Father, because in verse chapter, excuse me, chapter 5 is the Son. But this one is sitting, because he is controlling. That's why the word sat is there. And it's not resting, it's reigning. That's the key word, reigning as sovereign over the universe, really. And then around the throne is a rainbow, emerald. Brings us back to Genesis where the rainbow is a promise of protection, that God keeps his promises. And I believe that is just a picture of even what he did in Genesis chapter 9. He's a covenant-keeping God. In other words, our God is a faithful God. He's a covenant-keeping God. When he makes a promise, he holds to it. Is that important? If you receive my son... You have eternal life. Is that an important promise? Right? So he's a covenant keeper. And even at the throne, there's this rainbow. By the way, we need that comfort in uh, verse 3 because in verse 5, we see lightnings and thunders and voices and that can terrify you. But again, we are on the side of the covenant-keeping God. But what do you see in verse 4? All around the throne were the 24 thrones and on the thrones the 24 elders sitting and they were clothed in white robes and had crowns of gold on their heads and and again I believe that that is the raptured church the raptured coronated church I say I believe because I'm not sure I, I I'm not 100% sure what the four living creatures are or the 24 elders but I can tell you this categorically absolutely that you know what happens in heaven is worship so that's what we want to shoot for right yeah we might want to talk about the living creatures and the 24 you know elders but let's get to the main point what happens in heaven worship that's why we're here worship 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 And then from the throne, again, the lightnings and the thunders, that's verse 5. And before the throne, the seven lamps, which are the seven spirits of God, which is, again, the Holy Spirit. We saw this in chapter 1. Seven being characteristic fullness, completeness, because the Spirit of God is the third person, the omniscient one as well. So he's complete. That's the seven spirits of God, not seven individual. We're just referring to this. Spirit of God. And then in and around the throne, in the midst of the, or the inner circle of the throne, and around the throne were the four living creatures. Now again, these are not animals. They're literally living ones. And, and from Ezekiel, we find out these are cherubim. Angels. Angels around the inner core. But I like the idea of living. Because ours is a living God, right? The true God is a living God. And, and the living ones are around the living God. And God brought you from darkness to light. He gives you life. And I, and I just got to thinking, the, the closer you get to God, the more alive you are, isn't it? I mean, again, I'm not saying these are us. I'm just saying it is so true that God rescues from darkness into light, from death into life. And they're literally called the living ones. So again, the four living creatures. An exalted order of angels, again, frequently associated in Scripture with God's holy power. That's how you kind of see. So finally, let's land right here, and this is where your outline starts, towards the throne. 
The worship of God, okay? This is what we're going to see in this last part. The worship of God. The worship of God from the four living creatures. The worship of God for the 24 elders. And you see this carried on in, in chapter 5 as well. So you really have what, what it ends up being when you look at chapters 4 and 5. You have five separate hymns, as it were, of worship to God. So in chapters 4 and 5, you just keep getting brought back to God and worship. God, worship. God, worship. God is seeking worshipers. And here in heaven, He has worshipers. And, and look at verse 8. It says, And the four living creatures, each having six wings, were full of eyes around and within. And then they say it again. They were full of eyes. So they, you, know, you see this in, in verse 8 as well. So again, full of eyes. What do you mean full of eyes? Well, again, um, they had uh, understanding, full awareness, full alertness, full comprehending. These living creatures, the things that said about them is this. They understood. They understood who God is. And when they understood who God is, what were they doing? Well, you can see what they're doing. Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. And if you, if you, and if you take that concept, okay, the, whole, the, the living creatures had full understanding. Not omniscience. I'm not saying omniscience, but they, they understand, understood who God, okay? They were the inner core, as it were. <coughs> I mean, what was the response? Worship. Okay, when we stop worshiping, what, it is, what, what is happening in a Christian's life when we, when we find it very difficult to worship? It's because we're getting scales on our eyes as to who God really is. See, sometimes we need to, I mean, we're saying, open our, wait, what, what, open the eyes of our heart. That's really what I've been thinking about all week, as far as for myself and for you. Open the eyes of our heart. Help us to really see God. Help us to really understand God. Because when the living creatures who are closest to God really, again, had full of eyes, you know what they were doing? It immediately brought worship, constant worship. Now, what if we had eyes to really see constantly, consistent, not perfect, I'm, not, I'm just saying a Christian who really comprehended and understood what's going to be the natural draw. We're going to worship. We're not going to just worship one day a week. We're going to worship six days a week and come here corporately to worship one day a week, right? So you've got to ask yourself, am I really seeing God? Am I really, with the eyes of my heart, understanding God? Is He drawing me? Or, or do I find it hard to worship? Do I find it hard to really extol Him? I, I said to myself, yeah, Lord, at times I find it very difficult. I'm not seeing you clearly. I've got scales on my eye. Where's the scales coming from? Oh, all the concerns of this world. All the trinkets of this world. All the things that I can focus on other than you. Now, Lord, remove the scales. So let's, let's look at this from... First of all, I want to give you a primer. A primer on worship. Okay, just to... Because again, Jesus said in Matthew 4, you shall worship the Lord your God. So I, let's just have a primer on that. Like, what is worship? And then go on and look at these hymns again. And I say again, because last week we just really quickly ended. We never really got into it much. Well, first of all, we have the priority of worship. As one man said, the irreplaceable priority. Nothing can replace it. It's the priority. In John chapter 4, verse 23, Jesus speaking says this, but an hour is coming, talking about talking to the Samaritan woman. And I was coming, and now is, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. 
For the Father, now catch this last, for the Father is seeking such to worship him. him. The Father is seeking worshipers. Chuck Swindoll makes this, I think, profound statement. He says, if I'm not mistaken, this is the only place in the Bible where we read that God seeks something from us. This is the only place. Like, what is God seeking? Is he seeking my money? Is he seeking my time? Is he seeking my giftedness and ability? No, he's seeking worship. <laughs> now, if I'm worshiping him, I am giving. By the way, is, um, is giving part of worship? Is serving part of worship? Is singing part of worship? Sometimes we think of our worship service as the first 15, 20 minutes. That, that's just part of it. Is listening to the Word of God and having our hearts transformed part of worship? Uh, is me ministering my spiritual gift to another brother or sister in the Lord or to an unbeliever part of worship? Yeah, see, that's all part of worship. It's all part. Now, if you go back and you say, you know, I'm not doing that or I'm not doing this or I'm not doing... Then you've got to start saying, well, you know, my worship is... is uh, maybe it's a, a pick and choose because that's all part of worship. It's a... It's a it's, a, it's the big picture. It's all the things I do. But, but that's what the Father is seeking. The Father is seeking worshipers. Do all for the glory of God. Whether you eat or drink, do it for the glory of God. Sometimes we grab the, grab the uh, drink and eat the sandwich and oh, we might superficially pray. I mean, I'm saying things that I've done superficially just to say I've done it. Actually, one of the things he doesn't even know and I'm going to mention only because... I've had the opportunity to be around Dave a number of times. He's been helping us out at the church, working in a lot. Most of everything you've seen outside that's been done, most of it has been done by him. Um, so with him working here, and he's been enjoying you know, the fresh air, I gave him my iPod to use so that he could listen to messages, and he's real happy with that too. You know, because I have all these messages from all these preachers. You know, and Anyways, why am I telling you that? I don't know. Um, Often we have lunch together. And I'll have him pray periodically. You, you know what really blessed me the most? I could tell he was really thankful for the food. Just by praying. He, he's like, you're really thankful for the food. It wasn't superficial. You know, and it hit me like, am I really that thankful for the food even? The glass of water I get. Because you know around the world, there's, not, there's places where you can't get the glass of water that pure. You know what I mean? We have to kind of slow the thing down and say, Lord, everything you've given, am I really that grateful? And am I thanking you for it? That's part of worship. That's part of worship. So, again, we have to slow ourselves down. We are living sacrifices. So, that's the priority. The, the priority is this. The Father is seeking worshipers. Let me give you a second point. The essence. What is the heart of worship? What does it mean to worship? Again, when we think of worship in the context of a church, we usually think of praying and singing. But as I said earlier, it's so much more. It's all the parts. The term itself means, the root means to bow down. Okay? In Hebrew. Now, when it comes to the Greek, the word worship refers to a custom of prostrating oneself before a person and kissing their feet or kissing their hand, depending. But the idea of prostration is, I mean, if you look up just prostrate means that you literally are on the ground 
with your arms out to the side and your face is against the floor. That's so humiliating. What we're talking about eternal God here, right? I'm not advocating that here. But what I'm saying is, do we have that mindset? We are coming to worship the King of Kings, the Eternal One. So that's what the Greek side. Now, our English word comes from the word worth-ship, which means worth, just worth. We're giving him worth. We're singing worth. That's why we want to make sure that the songs, the hymns, whatever we're singing, gives him worth. That's why they need to be theologically sound. They need to be deep. Because he's not an inch deep. Okay, he, We want to bring him honor. He's superior. Therefore, when referring to the worship of God, it is attributing to him supreme worth to him. And to him alone. That's why we want to praise and honor and glorify and exalt Him. That's why I believe if you don't normally do this, I would encourage you that as you're, you know, that you even start worshiping God on Saturday night. What do you mean? Well, you start planning towards worshiping God. Um, most kids need a new change of clothes on Sunday morning before they come to church. Now, if church is that important, wouldn't, wouldn't you think that maybe the mother or father might put out the clothes the night before so that they're ready to go? And if they need a bath, let's do it Saturday night, which means let's get them to bed so that they are up. And, that, and you know what? I'd even encourage you to be here on ABF and learn the Word of God during the ABF hour. You know, we have two, I think, very good ABFs going on. One's talking about how do you know for sure that you're a Christian, and the other one is going through the, the Old Testament and yet it's sad how many miss an opportunity to really get into the Word of God and ask questions, right? I mean, so in other words, you're preparing your heart on Saturday night because Sunday morning, and you're, I mean, you're preparing your life, but then you prepare your heart. Lord, help me to prepare my heart so that as I'm going to church and I'm coming through, my heart is prepared. Lord, I want you to work in my life. I'm anticipating. See, worship is significant because it... It, it needs to turn our full attention to the one worthy of it. And sometimes I think we're not prepared and we just kind of stumble in and people are praying. And, and I find myself at times, you know, like this morning I was out back and, and, I, and I didn't realize Bob Baker was praying. You know, I was talking to so Bob, well, wait, that means the service is starting, right? <laughs> Let's get ourselves focused here. Okay, so we get ourselves focused. John 4 says this, God is spirit and, and, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. And the idea of spirit is has to have the right attitude and truth means it's got to be based on who God is found in his word. So when we worship, it's not because we're, our worship is not acceptable to God if it is sincere because it could be sincerely wrong. But our worship is acceptable if our heart is in tune with him and it's based off of what the word of God says about him. That's the essence of worship. Or I'll say it this way. Of, of all the times that worship is found in the scriptures, half of it is saying how that particular worship is wrong. Half of all the references of, of uh, worship in the scripture condemns false worship. That's, that's pretty revealing. That means you could be sincere about your worship, but sincerely wrong. 
Why? Uh, you come in and your heart's not prepared. You got sin. I mean, you got this issue with that person and that person. You got this sin in your life and you're unwilling to repent. Holy, holy. It's a farce. I don't even know if I was on tune, but the point is, you get the point. No, 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 no. God. Don't speak. Get your heart right. Because those who are going to worship Him need to worship in spirit and in truth. So we want to prepare our heart. That's why in uh, Acts 2 it says uh, of the early church that everyone kept feeling a sense of awe. Now, that's the expression of worship. We looked at the priority. We look at the essence, what it is. Now let's look at the expression. Worship is a verb. It's something we do. When it says they felt a sense of awe, Acts 2.42, you know, God was working. God was saving people. God was transforming people. God is great. We are small. God is great. It's all about Him. One of the, uh, my favorite videos that we've taken of our children of all time was, it was Christmas time. This was years ago. One of my kids, Caden, was probably three or four years old. And it, it wasn't meant to do, you know how sometimes you do a video and you didn't, weren't focused in on it, but it just happened. And, uh, you know, kids were opening presents, you know, I'm trying to scan back and forth. And um, you see them open, I forget what it was, uh, some present, and I'm scanning. And then somehow, I, like back, and he said this, Awesome! Now think about this as a three or four year old. Awesome! <laughs> We've watched that how many times. Awesome! Well, you know, that's how, that's how we should come in with God. God, awesome! Oh yeah, I've got all kinds of, you know, there's issues in the world and there's crises all around and some things in your life may not be going the way. Our God is awesome! You know, that's, that's what it should do. I mean, you pray at the beginning. Listen to Bob, right? Bob's going before the throne of grace. Then we sang. Now we understand. Then we get to worship again. Then we get to give. I mean, by the way, we don't give a plate. Passing the plate is just in the back. But we get the opportunity to give. And then we get an opportunity to uh, interact with God's people. And all that is awesome. All that is awesome. So again, three different parts of worship. Priority, essence, but then there's the expression. We get to do it. We get to do it. And you will do it. But when it comes to worship, we're all worshipers. It's just whether or not you're worshiping the true God. We've, just understand, we were made to worship. We're going to end with that thought today. It is impossible, as one man said, for a man to live without having an object of worship. In fact, he said it this way. It is as impossible for a man to live without having an object of worship as it is for a bird to fly if it is taken out of the air. Man is made to worship. We, that's why we have to work and ask God to give us insight so that we are worshiping the true God. Because if we're not worshiping the true God, we are worshiping something else. That's just how it is. Even as Christians, you can have your heart in tune to something else. God is a jealous God. He wants our worship. And this is what we find in the text. Again, and I'm going back now to the text. What does he say? Holy, holy, holy. Now we looked at this quickly, but holy, holy, holy. First of all, what do we pro, uh, proclaim? Notice also it says 
they were uh, they do not rest day or night day or night saying not necessarily singing although most will say they were singing saying look at verse 10 the 24 elders cast their crowns before the throne saying <laughs> now in verse 9 of chapter 5 it says that they sang a new song so again i'm i'm not saying they don't sing but it's interesting they were saying these things holy 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 is other god is unique transcendent he is the holy other. That's what the living creatures are proclaiming. Then almighty, that's all powerful. Primarily as the text relates to creation. You're going to see that in a moment. I'm going to show you one more three minute clip of how powerful our God is. And then eternal, who was and is and is to come, who lives forever and ever. Verse 9. Powerful. So you see his holiness, his power, and his eternity. You know. Nebuchadnezzar in Daniel 4 said this, I bless the, mo the, most high, the Most High and praised and honored Him who lives forever. So we're recognizing that before time, our God lives. Before time, in eternity past, He's here. <laughs> He's above time and space. Uh, first, second, third heaven, He's there. All we see is the first and second. That's, that's our time. That's our space of heaven. But this is the third heaven. So that's the hymn of creation part one. Now we have the hymn of creation part two. And this is because worship begets more worship. And when the living creatures start worshiping, now the 24 elders, because it says, verse 9, whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to Him who sits on the throne who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders. Worship begets more worship. That's why you want to have your heart prepared, because as your heart is prepared, that's the dynamic of a body of believers. You Worship begets more worship. You ever come to the church, and you're kind of, you weren't prepared, but then by the time you were around some other Christ, Christians, now all of a sudden your heart is prepared? This is the closest you're going to get to a touch of heaven right here. Right? Is this the closest touch to heaven right here? The people of God? Well, where else is God found? We're, the, we're his temple. This is, this is the closest touch of heaven you're going to get right here. That's why we should... So we're worshiping six days a week, but we look forward to the seventh, I mean, the, the first day of the week, I'll say that way, the first day of the week. Why? Because we're around God's people. And worship begets worship. And we need each other. We need the one another's. Because it helps us. There's a dynamic in corporate worship you can't find in your own personal. You should have your personal worship. But there's a dynamic here that you can't find in your... Right? Isn't that true? Didn't you sense that today? There was a dynamic. When I'm by myself in personal worship, I don't have Donna playing <laughs> and helping me lead. Right? And everyone else that's, that's going along with, with Janice. And I won't even start naming all the people. But uh, you get the point. Right, let's, let's see what happens now. So verse 9, when the living creatures give glory and honor, again, 24, and what do they do? They fall down before Him. Prostration is the, the position of worship. Why? It shows humility, shows need. You see this over and over again. You see this in chapter 5, verse 8, 14, chapter 19, verse 4. They fell down, chapter 7, verse 11, 11, verse 16. They fell down, they fell down, they fell down. I almost wish we had enough room. Wouldn't it be great sometime to maybe worship like that? You know, we fall. 
Well, that's pretty humiliating. Well, it might just remind us of the greatness of our God. Well, we can't maybe do it here, but maybe try that at home when you're worshiping on your own. Just do it for five minutes. Just five minutes. Just, but just put yourself in that position. It's, it's humbling. But it reminds you of who God is. And then you have the perspective and they cast their crowns. See, these 24 elders, the rewards they got, apparently these are the rewards It says they cast their crown before the throne. And worship, remember this, always involves sacrifice. They're casting their crowns. It doesn't say they get them back. They cast their crowns. It's sacrificial. Well, we're told in Romans 12 that we're supposed to be a living sacrifice. So, if singing and praying and giving and serving and all these th- and listening and studying are all part of worship, then they all should be sacrificial. It's not done out of uh, leftovers. It's done because he's the king. And then finally saying, you are worthy, O Lord. And all these go towards the creation. You are worthy to receive glory, that's majesty, and honor, that's value. You're valuable, you're uplifted. Of all people in the universe, you are the greatest. You're extolled, you're praised. And then finally, your power, your dunamis, your strength. We're praising you for your power. And then they name what he did through his power. For you created all things, and, and by your will, they continue to exist and were created. And I think, this is I think, but I, I think what, he's, what John is referring to here is this, that, that the created things were, were the, the potential, what was in his mind, you determined to create all things, and then the second, because he's using the same word, is that not only did you determine it, but you created it. In other words, Everything you see in creation is from God. There's this crazy thing going around that somehow evolution played a part of it. No! Because if you say that, you have just downgraded God's glory. You see that? Right? So, everything... <laughs> the ones that were full of eyes, they understood perfect, perfectly what God had done. What did they say? You created all things. Now... I want to show you one last clip. Francis Chan, he was a pastor. Now I think he's an evangelist. Uh, evangelist. But, but this is what he's doing. He's, now, he's not showing us the vastness of the universe. He is now just showing you the vastness of our individual galaxy. Remember, in the universe, there are billions of galaxies. This is just ours, the Milky Way. You know, we're studying just our Milky Way, just that galaxy that we live on. And I was reading about it this week, and it was explained that the shape of this galaxy we live in is it's like a pancake. It's like this, this big pancake with a bulge in the middle. And, and yesterday when I was making breakfast, I, I made a little replica of it. Um, this is not the scale. Okay, but uh, it's this whole idea of, okay, if this were our galaxy, that's pretty good, huh? Put a little golf ball in there and flip it. Okay. If this were our galaxy, this, this is so fascinating. Okay, there's no, there's no, not even a chance that I could make a speck visible to the human eye to show us our whole solar system. Okay, there's no way that you would see our whole solar system, our sun, everything, within this galaxy. Because you know how big this is? A light year, okay, a 
right here is traveling at the speed of light. The speed of light is 186,000 186,000 miles a second. Think about that. 186,000 miles in one second. That's fast. <laughs> 186,000 miles in a second. That's a light year. No, that's, that's, that's a speed of light. A light year is traveling at 186,000 miles a second for a whole year. Imagine how far you would go. In one second, much less one year, that's a light year. Do you know how long it would take to get from one edge of our galaxy to the other? A hundred thousand light years. So to get from this edge to this edge, you would have to travel at 186,000 miles per second for a hundred thousand years. And you just go, what? That doesn't make any sense. That's what that's how long it would take to get from one edge to the galaxy to the other. So imagine how fast you would pass the Earth within the first fraction of a second. As the Earth is just a few thousand miles in diameter. I mean, you, you can't even measure it up within a second. And you're going to travel for 100,000 years at the speed of light to get from one edge to the other. There's no way you would see our Earth. But our Earth is buried in this somehow. And the last scene where I showed you were the, the, all those galaxies. Do you know how many of these things are out there? They're estimating about 350 billion. 350 billion galaxies. And we're buried as this tiny planet inside of one of these. And God says, I've set my glory above the heavens. You fascinated by what I made? You should see me. The God who created all of this. See, and it blows me away. You know, people will walk in here and think they're big. <laughs> Are you kidding me? God created the heavens and the earth. As we close it down for today, let me, um, let me just end with a, kind of a, a thought on this thought. Okay, That God, it says in Ecclesiastes, He has made everything beautiful in His time. Also, He has put eternity in their hearts. Now the word eternity there, by the way, this was written by Solomon. Remember, the richest, wealthiest. Solomon had all the money he needed, wanted. He had all the power, all the wealth, all the prestige, all the sex. He had everything. He had everything anybody could want. And yet, he says, but God has put eternity in their hearts. Talking about mankind. And, and that word eternity means transcendence. In other words, there's this deep and abiding sense of something outside the boundaries of our senses. And if you look at the heavens, we see the atmosphere, first heaven. Everything he's talking about is the second heaven. God is beyond that. There's transcendence. It's transcendence. 
And in our hearts, there's this longing, and, and James McDonald's book put it this way, there's, a deep in the, there's deep in the soul of every human being, that'd be you, that'd be myself, every human being is a longing for the transcendence created within us by God himself. There's a longing for God in our heart, is what I'm saying. There's a longing for God. The glory of God. There's a longing in our hearts there's a hole in our heart. There's a hole. Lord, only you can fill it. Now, when you come to Christ, forgiveness is granted, right? And you become one of his children. But the hole is still there in one sense. In the sense that I, I have this need. What is your need? It's like a, a deer panting after water. My, my need is for God. Your need is for God. Even as Christians, you still have that need, this, this passion. I need more. I need more of him. I, well, that's wrong to say. He needs more of me, okay? But the idea is that I'm in pursuit of him. And sometimes as Christians, we forget that. That eternity is in our hearts. We have a need, and our need is him. And sometimes when we forget that, you know what happens? We, we stuff our lives with things with stuff of this world, the trinkets of this world. And I was thinking this morning of the four, I can give you four A's of how we stuff our lives. Sometimes we stuff our lives with achievements. And we do a lot of things, and maybe that brings us prestige or power or whatever, but it's achievements. It's the things that I've done. Achievements. And somehow we think that's going to satisfy, and you know what you find in the end? It doesn't, right? Oh, it can provide a living, and that's good, but it doesn't satisfy the word satisfy, as I'm using it, means to fulfill an expectation, a need, that it's sufficient, that it gives contentment. Achievements, achievements cannot do that in the end. Oh, they're maybe fun to run after, but you find that they don't give contentment in the end. The second one we do is associations. Our relationships, and we build a lot of relationships thinking that's going to satisfy that's going to be the means of contentment. Oh, I tried the achievements, but I'm going to go after relationships now. You know what you also find in those? They don't satisfy. Either relationships fall apart, <laughs> they die, something happens, they're not fulfilling. If it's human, only human I'm talking. I have this need or accumulation. This is what I have. And you buy things. And things are going to make me content. Things are going to give me peace. Things are going to make me happy. I've tried the achievements. I've tried the associations of our accumulation. Or finally, activities. And we get busy doing things. What I do, sports, arts, entertainment, whatever it might be. <laughs> Solomon went down the path. That's why I'm saying these things. Solomon did all this stuff. What did he say? No, no, there's still a longing. There's still a longing. I just want to challenge you, challenge you with this. Are you pursuing God knowing that He is the only one that can really fill that ache in your heart? Now again, if the ache is there because you've never been forgiven, you need to go to Christ and ask that He would, uh, that he would forgive you based on His sacrifice on the cross, that you would receive Him as Savior and Lord, right? You may be here not, not a believer, and, and you have the ache in your heart because you're not even a Christian. The wrath of God is over you, and you need to get saved. You need to receive Christ, not religiously. You need to receive Him personally. 
But the other cat, and I say but because I'm, I've been at this point and this week has really hit me. Whoa, am I really satisfied in Jesus Christ? Is he enough? Or am I still trying to go after these other things thinking they're going to really bring some satisfaction? See, there's a difference between satisfied and enjoying. Yes, you can enjoy activities. You can enjoy relationships. Enjoyment means it brings some pleasure. But you never look at those like the end all, like they're going to bring total contentment. But when it comes to the worship of God and pursuing God, He can bring lasting contentment. In fact, that's why heaven is so great. It's not just that we're with God and we're perfect. We get to perfectly worship Him forever. Now, isn't that a marvelous thought? We will, we will be complete, able to worship the one that we love and adore. But you can have that even on this side. And if you find yourself maybe pursuing these other things, achievements, associations, accumulation, activities, I would encourage you, even as we stand, and we, let's stand together, we need, to, we need to worship in song here in a moment. But I would encourage you, if you're running after that, and, and, and you feel like your life is dry, <laughs> I'm on a treadmill going nowhere. Lord, I thought this was supposed to be a, a loving relationship between you and myself, and it just feels so dry. You might ask yourself, are you trying to fill the, the void that only God can fill with something else of the trinket of this world? Because I think that's one of the greatest temptations. We fill our lives with other things, thinking somehow that's going to bring true satisfaction. And God keeps bringing it. It's almost like gravel in the mouth, like dry grass in the mouth, and it says it just doesn't satisfy. Lord, I need you. And you need to then say, Lord, I repent. I do need you. I've been running after this other thing. But it's not the thing that's going to satisfy. It's you. It's you, Lord. You're my Savior. You're my Father. You're my Lord. It's you. And it's amazing. He, and, I, and, and it just like opens up, like blossoms. Your life blossoms. And I, I trust that that's where you are. I trust that each one of you are there. But if you find yourself like, <laughs> your life feels like you're eating dry grass and it's just dry. I can't, I, because that's where I was. It was dry. And I started realizing why. Because I'm not, I wasn't pursuing God. I was pastoring. I was preaching messages to you. I wasn't, I wasn't pursuing Him, though. He wasn't my all in all. You've got to ask God for forgiveness. Lord, it's, I'm pursuing you. I'm pursuing you.